Let's go uh, to Exodus and let's go to chapter 8. We're going to be down in verse 20. We're going to cover a couple of the uh, plagues we've been looking at today as we uh, looking at the last few weeks as we talk about God's judgment on Egypt. And maybe there's some things you can learn. Maybe there's some insight you can gain. And uh, we also want to leave you with a word of hope. So uh, praise the Lord that there's always hope in every situation for God's people. So let's uh, take our Bibles. Let's open it up and let's thank God that we live in a nation where we can still gather as freely as we do. Uh, I know it's not optimal, but uh, hey, when you think about what other countries go through, uh, it's, we're still in the best place to live in the world, aren't we? And when you also um, are thinking about the way you're seated and all of that, I had a kind of a tinge of sadness. I was walking over there a while ago and looked back behind that one rail and there were offering plates. Now, I don't really care that much about offering plates. I don't care how people give as long as they just give, right? But there was a tinge of just, ah, I'm tired of things being so weird. Aren't you? Tired of things being weird. And uh, we've got to be careful during this time. I know that there are people on either end of the spectrum. Some people think this whole thing is just made up. And other people are thinking that, you know, this is the apocalypse. Let me just try. This is not the plague of Revelation or anything like that. We're not even close to that, okay? This is just normal part of life, okay? Been outbreaks like this before, and there will be again before the Lord returns. And uh, so I'm somewhere kind of in the middle, and when I see states like Texas, I greatly admire the governor of Texas. And the state of Florida, I greatly admire the governor of the state of Florida. And those guys are backing down like crazy. Now, are they just lily-livered, weak-kneed compromisers? I don't think so. I don't get that impression from those guys. But uh, there are some spikes. I heard that Florida had a record spike just the other day. And so we need to be careful. So I'm going to ask you, uh, be careful about shaking hands and that type of thing while you're here today. We don't want an outbreak here if we can possibly avoid it. And whenever we leave, if you need to talk and to visit and all of that, you know, kind of keep your distance and go outside and do it, okay? And let the Oklahoma wind blow that nasty stuff somewhere else. So uh, we'll just do that. So enough said about that. Let's look at a plague, a real plague. And we're going to look um, at this plague that is called in my Bible a plague of flies. Now, um, if you have a King James or a New King James, you'll notice that wherever it says of flies, that is italicized. You know what that means? It's not in the original language. The Hebrew just says that God sent a plague of swarms. Okay? If you have a newer version, an ESV, uh, something like that, you probably have it footnoted. There probably be a little letter there or something beside it, all to indicate that that was just added for clarification. I mean, you got to have a swarm of something, right? And uh, last night we were at Isaac and Jenny's, and we were eating hamburgers and hot dogs and that kind of thing, 4th of July, right? And we're sitting out there in the backyard, and I'm thinking, the plague of flies has begun. And, uh, but these are not typical house flies that we're talking about in this plague. The uh, flies that we're talking about here, some call them dog flies. There's another name that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. And what they would do is they were larger than house flies. Yuck. 
And when they would land on you, some of them, they were blood-sucking animals, and some of them would actually lay their larvae in the, uh, the punctures that they made on your skin. Now, that's nice. And the Bible's going to tell us that these swarms of these insects, and there may have been a variety of them for all we know, they covered the ground and they were everywhere. You, this is more than just being annoying. This is more than just being pesky. This is horrifying. And then we're going to see as we move on in to cover the next plague that it's going to be a plague that covers, uh, that kills animals. Now, I was reading ahead and I looked and I saw that later on there were other animals getting killed. Where do you get the other animals as all of them die? And the key, and you'll notice this when we read, when we get into verse 9, it talks about the animals in the fields were killed by this next plague. Okay? Not the ones that were stabled and not the ones that the Israelis had in the land of Goshen. So with that said, let's dive in. Okay? We'll look at verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water or out to the river Nile. And then say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms, okay, that's all it said, for clarification, of flies or flying insects, on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Gross just thinking about it. Verse 22 and in that day I will set apart, this is the first time he says this, set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. That ought to bless you, by the way. Tomorrow this sign shall be, and the Lord did so, Thick swarms came into the houses of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your Lord. Now these next three words are a little bit different than what Moses asked for. Moses said, in the wilderness, Pharaoh says, in the land. Do it here. Don't go anywhere. Just, I'll give you permission to worship your uh, God here. Okay? No freedom there other than just permission. Verse 26. And Moses said, well, it's not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes... Then they will, will they not stone us? We'll go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away, just across the border. Intercede for me. Now that's the first time Pharaoh has ever said anything like that. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms 
of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from the, his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Talk about answered prayer, huh? And he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. So you read this story, and Pharaoh is saying, no, you are not going to sacrifice to your God, and you're not going to do it out in the wilderness because you'll get away. Slavery's over if you do that. And, uh, you know, I'm not interested in what your God has to say. Remember, he had said, who is your God that I should serve him? Well, he's starting to find out. And so for the first time, Pharaoh calls for them and says, entreat your God and then there's some negotiation because Pharaoh's not convinced. He's just superstitious. And so he says, you know, do whatever you have to do. Just get these things off of us. And so uh, he says, do it in the land. Now, Moses, remember when you read back in the book of Genesis when Jacob and all of his Joseph's family came to Egypt? They put them in the land of Goshen because shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. And so Moses is saying, if we do this in the land and offer sheep, the abominations, the Egyptians are going to say we've defiled the land. That's kind of funny when they're covered in swarms of flies. But they're going to say we defiled the land and they will stone us. So uh, all of this is happening now to get Pharaoh to the point to where he not only says, you're free to go, but in the last plague, you'll remember, he actually commands them to leave. And so we're getting to that point. Who is the Lord that Pharaoh should serve him? Well, he's finding out. Now, Pharaoh lied about this again. He's uh, kind of good at that. And whenever the relief comes, as we said last week, relief is not repentance. And so we go into chapter 9 and look at this next plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, just right on the heels of that last one, go into Pharaoh. Don't meet him at the river. You go in and confront him and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the, land, the hand of the Lord... Remember the magician said this is the finger of God earlier? God says, you think my finger was something? This is my whole hand coming after you now. The hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field. There's the key, in the field. On the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Now Pharaoh didn't really believe that. We're going to see in just a moment what he does. Verse 5. Then the Lord appointed a set time saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land, the land of Egypt. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, remember, in the field, in the field. 
But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Now then Pharaoh went, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard. I think you could also translate that he just got mad. The more this happens, the angrier he gets. The more resolve he has not to give in. His heart grows hard, and he did not let the people go. Wow, what a story. How much is it going to take? Well, you and I know what it's going to take, and you and I know what the plan of God is for getting Pharaoh to this point. But Pharaoh doesn't know, and I'm not even sure that Moses knew or the people of Israel knew. But there are some things we can look at this, and they are things that apply to us and to our land and to our world today. They, they all start with a D, okay? Surprise, surprise. Number one, think of the word and write down the word dominance. This is the hand of God showing to all of the world and especially to the empire of Egypt. You think you're in control. You think you have my people in slavery. You think that there's nothing they can do. You think that your gods and goddesses are protecting you and providing for you. But they couldn't even keep your drinking water safe, right? They couldn't even keep the frogs out of all, even your, your Dutch ovens, right? You think you're safe, but you couldn't keep the dust from becoming lice. And now things began to get worse. And God is showing that over all of the gods, over all of the culture, over all of the lifestyle, over all of the economy of Egypt, there's one who reigns. And it is the Lord God. You know, we need to remember that here in America, that no matter how economically powerful we may be, militarily powerful we may be, no matter what it is that we think that we have in technology or anything else, the only reason we exist is by the favor and the grace of God. And it would not take much, I think we found out in 2020, it would not take much to bring us down. And when we think, oh, we're so mighty and powerful, can you just imagine God off on his throne going, and we crumble. This is why we sing God bless America. This is why we pray for the healing of our land because it's not really as important as I think voting is, as important as that is. That's really not the main issue. The main issue is our sin. The main issue is you and me being right with God and living holy lives, honoring God, being ambassadors for Christ and sending out missionaries into the world and being faithful to the call of Christ because there is one who dominates total domination of the universe which includes everything on the planet. Well, that's the message of God in all of this. I dominate, not your silly, idiotic little statues that you have all over the place. Dominance, total dominance. Let that be pounded into your head. Now, there are some people that you might listen to on TV and other places that they would say, oh, God never does anything to cause any harm. That's the devil. Well, certainly the devil does that, right? We understand that. But please understand as we look at God and get to know our God, this God is not all just lovey-dovey and lavender-smelling and soothing and wonderful and everything. You notice how many times in what we read, God said, 
I will. Not the devil will, I will. And the Lord did. And words like that that make it very clear. Moses' point is this was not coincidence. This was not simply an act of nature. This was not even the work of the enemy. The enemy is Pharaoh. The demons of hell and Satan himself are working through Pharaoh. This is God against the devil. This is God against the religions of Egypt. And guess who wins? God does. And it reminds me that when it's all said and done in this world, even though it may look like they're in control, God dominates the world in which we live. He's bringing it to his fitting conclusion. And one day all of this is going to end. Good for us, bad for them, right? And that's why during this time we live for God, honor God, obey God, be a testimony to the world in the midst of hard times. And we tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope. So write down and think about the word dominance. Secondly, will you think about the word distinction? One of the thi- well, there are two things that God is Showing the Egypt, showing the Egyptians. And I started to say, God is trying to tell, but I backed up. God doesn't try to tell anything, okay? He just tells it. He just tells it. And he makes it very, very clear. God is not hinting here, you know, Pharaoh, there might be just a little bit of a problem in the way that you are dealing with my people, and you kind of insulted me. God doesn't do that. Have you ever noticed God doesn't drop hints? Right? Some of us are not good at taking hints. And I'm speaking about every man in the building. Right? Your wife will give a hint about something that needs to be done. And room, Right? Right over your head. Well, God doesn't give hints. God makes it really clear. Why did God do this? Well, he said in these verses that we read that... I may be known throughout all the land of Egypt. So the first thing God is doing to make a distinction is to say, I'm not like your gods. Your gods are dead. Your gods are powerless. Your gods are man-made. They're also very, very weird if you've ever looked at some of those. And God says, I'm not like them. I'm not the creation of your hand. And I'm not the figment of your imagination. I made you. I am distinct above all others. In fact, the Bible tells us that the gods that the nations worship are actually demons. That's where they get the power to do whatever it is that they do. Because you remember the magicians in the first three plagues turn water into blood. They go, we can do that, right? We can bring frogs out of the Nile. We can do that. We can turn dust into lice. We can do that. And as we made the point in the last several messages, who needs you if all you can do is make the problem worse? Sorcerers, you need to get rid of the problem. We don't need more blood. We don't need more frogs. We don't need more lice. But as they got to the end of it, they said, this is the finger of God. We can't handle this because they've run out of their bag of tricks. And it reminds us that whatever Satan and his demons do, it is always limited. They can only do what God allows them to do. And they can never keep up with our God because our God rules and our God reigns. He is distinct above even the devil and his demons. So that's the first thing God is saying. I'm not like anything or anyone else. That's a good thing to know. 
But the second thing he says is, and my people are not the same as other people. You know, the Bible says you're a chosen generation, right? The Bible says you're a royal priesthood. That's not true of everybody. Now, everybody is made in the image of God, and they deserve respect, and that's why racism is a sin, and that's why we are not to live under prejudice and all of that. We're not to withhold the gospel from other people, and we are to treat other people, loving God and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's very clear in the Bible. That's not even debatable. Why do we do that? Because they are made in the image of God. It may be a marred image, and it may not be a clear image, but it's still there, the Bible says. So you and I are living as those who are image bearers of God, and yet we're different than all of them. Why? We've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We are royalty. We are the children of God. We ought to live like it, honoring God. We ought to live like it, talking about God. We ought to live like it. Dwelling among other people, living in a, such a different and a distinct way that they say, why do you do that? And we're able to give an answer for the hope that is within us, as Peter said. But for so many people today that call themselves Christians, there's not enough to even attract attention. And so nobody's asking, and so they're not really interested in all of our message. And so in Egypt, it would have been the same way. Who would go up to an Egyptian slave, enslaved for 400 years, right? Generation after generation of that. Who would go up to them and say, tell me about your great God? Nothing impressive about the Israelis. But God said, just wait until the Egyptians find out who I am, and then they're going to see the distinction that I've made between my people. Now, the Israelis have been suffering under the first three plagues, just like the Egyptians. A lot of people don't realize that. They had the same problem with water being turned to blood. They had the same problem with the plague of frogs. They had the same problem with the dust being turned to lice. But at this point, God says, I'm going to make a distinction between them. And that just simply reminds me, we suffer in this world just like they did because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there are consequences to that sin. But understand, child of God, however However deep your suffering may go, however long it may last, it is temporary. The Israelis are about to be finished with their suffering. They're not going to suffer in the rest of the plagues, and they're going to go away to freedom, right? And for you and for me, the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The Bible tells us, when you look in the book of 1 Peter, that the end of all things is near, so we are supposed to be sober and we are supposed to be praying, right? And then down in verse 12, he tells us that we're not supposed to think it strange or weird when fiery trials come upon, the, uh, upon us. This is just a part of life as redeemed sinners in a fallen world. It still happens. But understand this, it's all but temporary. One of these days, you're going to breathe your last breath and be absent from the body and present with the Lord. 
and you're not going to have any pain or any suffering or any sorrow. One of these days, a trumpet is going to sound, and there's going to be the shout of the archangel in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together to meet him in the clouds, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord in that place where there is no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. There's not even any more night, nothing like that at all. So as you look at the things you're going through and that you may go through in all of this, you keep in mind, for the world, it's permanent. If they don't get saved, they suffer here, and then at the great white throne, they are cast into the lake of fire forever. It doesn't get any better for them, but for you... For you, keep looking up. It is gloriously dark, and there is a finish to all of this. So there's a distinction. You are the people of God. Well, you notice, thirdly, that there is also a deception. Pharaoh lies. Here's a newsflash. Politicians lie. Huh? Everybody know that? Yeah. They don't keep campaign promises. Here's Pharaoh's campaign promise if you will entreat the Lord for me and get rid of these flies then I will let you go right and I'm sure right after that he goes this message was approved by Pharaoh and all of that right that's his that's what he's doing he's politicking and what happened when all of this ended all they did was get mad all they did was harden his heart all they did was back down from what he had promised. You know, deception is something that God particularly hates. Deception. We're told in the Bible we're to put away lying. We are to put away false witness and that type of thing. It's even included in the Ten Commandments, is it not? And you think about the lies and the deceptions that are told in this world today as they were back then. People pretending to be something that they're not. Now that campaign season is in full swing, well, kind of in full swing, but you know what the politicians are going to do. All of a sudden, there's going to be this intense mixture of ungodliness and a little God thrown in. Even the most wicked politicians will want a prayer to be said or want a Bible verse to be quoted or something like that. All the while while they're perverting marriage and society and all the while while they're murdering babies. Come on, folks. And they sprinkle a little God on it like a little bit of salt on your food thinking that's going to make everything okay and then after they're elected they forget all about it. Well, God is going to put an end to that deception one of these days and the truth is going to be brought out about every person that has ever walked upon the face of the earth even Pharaoh and Pharaoh as God takes him through these judgments he's going to come to the place to where as we mentioned earlier he's actually going to beg them to leave to beg them to get out of Egypt because truth is going to be known because God is a God of truth the Bible says in Psalm 78, a psalm by Asaph, that God's children even have trouble with telling the truth. It says in Psalm 78, verse 36, but, when, uh, but then they would flatter him, God, with their mouths, saying to him with their tongues, 
their hearts were not loyal to him and they were not faithful to his covenant yet he was merciful and forgave their iniquities you know even in worship there is a tendency that we have to sing a song that we don't really intend to uh, act upon I surrender all have you ever done that Has that ever really taken place in your life? Well, it did at least once at salvation. But since then, has it ever happened? We talk about God being a great king, providing for all of our needs, then walk out of the doors, and we worry to death about what the future holds. You've done it, and I've done it. We we do all of these things, and we flatter God, is the way Asaph put it, with our mouths. True worship is when it gets beyond flattery, and it gets down to the truth. In Psalm 51, David said, You desire truth where? Not in the lips, that's important, but in the inward parts. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see? And so what Pharaoh was doing with his deception, and this is what everyone does when they lie, they are revealing their hearts. And God is going to deal with every bit of deception that goes on in your life and my life and in this world today. And that leads us then to the fourth thing. And what do we have? It's devastation. When you think about the word devastation, we're talking here about something that's going to touch every part of their lives. We've experienced a little of that. A little of that. Um, I was watching last night when Andrew and Christian and some others were playing cornhole. And Christian knew all the rules to cornhole because he's been watching it on ESPN. Why do you watch cornhole? Now, Christian's weird enough. He might do it anyway. Okay? But for most of us, for us normal people, right? We only watch that because there's no football or baseball or basketball or something like that. Right? I think God has touched one of our gods with a little g, sports. And you know what we found out? You can live without it. Right? You can live without it. I think as God touched the stock market, He was touching one of the gods of America, the God of finance. And you know what we find out as Christians? We don't live on this world's economy anyway, do we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He'll take care of me and he'll take care of you. You think about all of these things that have been touched. Well, that's what was happening in Egypt, but in a much, much, much more dramatic and hopeless way. Their health... I mean, you think about those kind of flies that were swarming around. And their possessions, their cattle being killed. This is going to touch their economy. And this is also going to touch their religion, their their false gods. The plague of flies was a judgment against all of the Egyptian gods that had the appearance of insects. You ever seen a scarab beetle on something? came out of Egypt. And one of their gods, the god Ra, I believe Ra Amon, uh, he is said to be pushing the sun across the sky. And he has the body of a man and the head of a beetle. All kinds of things like that. And God is saying, oh, you like insects so much? You worship the insects? You think they have power? I'm going to show you my power by swarming you with the bugs that you can't get rid of. And there are also a lot of Egyptian gods... Pharaoh's mother, remember he's a descendant of the gods. 
and she's a goddess who had the head of a cow. I think I saw her at Walmart the other day. But I digress, right? I mean, this is a plague that touches every Egyptian god and goddess that had the head or characteristics of an animal. You ever seen the Sphinx? And as God is saying to them, I'm the God who is totally dominant here, right? I am the God who makes a distinction between me and your false gods and my people and the ones who worship the false gods. That's what he was telling them. And as he brings them on down through all of this, and he puts up with their lies and their deception, he all ends, it all ends up with the Egyptian lifestyle being devastated by the hand of God so that they will know who the true and the living God is. And one of these days, he's going to do that for everyone because the Bible tells us, and it's very clear as we conclude here, that... Uh, as Paul writes about all of this, thinking about Roman times and Roman gods and goddesses and false gods and mythologies and all of that, and he says, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name. Look, he's making him distinct. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I just want to conclude by saying whether you're watching by live stream, whether you're here in the auditorium, whether it's a friend or a neighbor or a family member, think about this. Politicians, anybody, it doesn't matter. Everyone is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that what it said? The only question is not if, when, when. How many of you have confessed Jesus as Lord and trusted completely in his death, burial, and resurrection as full payment for your sin and you are born again now? Would you shout out an amen? Amen. amen. And if you haven't, will you? We'll talk to you. You can call us. You can get a hold of us through social media. You've got friends that are here that will be happy to tell you how to be born again. Any number of ways to do it. But whether you're in your living room right now watching or whether you're here, the question is not if you will bow. The question is when you will bow. Because our God, well maybe we uh, summarize the outline of the message today by saying what America needs to know. Our God reigns and he reigns supreme and all God's people said amen. amen heavenly father we conclude this time by thanking you that you have revealed yourself to us now we don't understand you because we can't comprehend you but you've revealed enough and we bow before you today surrender our lives before you today use us however you please we're your living sacrifices and you are the King. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for being here today. It's been a great worship service. I want to thank everybody that was a part last week. Doesn't it seem like a lot longer than a week ago? We had our appreciation dinner for law enforcement and first responders. That went wonderful. We 
served around 125 meals. We served a meal either by them coming here or their supervisor taking it to them, all of IMSA, everybody that was on duty that night. We took 30 meals. We had a police officer come and take 30 meals down to the 911 dispatch. So we covered a lot of people, and they were so appreciative. So thank you for those that worked. Thank you for those of you that gave to cover the cost of that. Uh, it was a blessing to everyone that was involved. I don't think we're Isaac's upstairs. I don't think we have any announcements that I know of. Uh, watch Facebook for that, and you are dismissed. Mm -hmm.